Brenton. Well, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at Hebrews 12 and then some passages from Matthew chapter 11, so you can kind of have those two. And if you'd like to follow along with the teaching notes, those are on our church website, forerunnerchurch.com, and you can find those teaching notes that are posted there. Um, there will be a different message for the second service, and then Chris Reed will be joining us again. He was here last night ministering at the conference, and he'll be joining us next service at the 11 a.m. service as well to do some ministry with us. So very grateful for that. Glad that he's here. I'm going to read this passage from Hebrews 12, verse 27. Actually, I'm going to start back at verse 25. The writer says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Father, we love your ministry and we love your word. We love your presence. We long for you. We want you. In the midst of shaking, as you are removing the things that are temporal, even in our own lives, as you are removing and shaking temporal things, the things that we so easily put our trust in, that you may bring your kingdom that cannot be shaken. We ask for the grace of God to help us, to touch our hearts, to give us fresh insight, to make sense of what is happening in the earth and to agree with you in the deepest way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the message this morning is entitled, The Bridegroom Who Shakes the Nations. But really it's a call to respond to the heart of Jesus right now in the midst of the shaking that is occurring in the nations of the earth. The Lord is getting our attention. He's waking us up. Uh, I know many believers that are in a state of confusion right now. Why is my life being shaken? Why are things happening to me that are beyond my control? Why are there significant setbacks in my opportunities, in my freedoms, in my finances, with uh, relationships in my life. Why are these things happening? And the reason why is because of this passage right here. The Lord is shaking the temporal things because he wants to establish his people and that which cannot be shaken. Or to say it differently, the Lord is shaking the various things in our life so that that which is in agreement with his heart becomes the anchor, becomes the root system 
within the heart of his people. I'm very encouraged by what is happening right now because I know that the Lord is so kind because he is a bridegroom. And if you think of him in that way, the heart of the bridegroom toward his people, I mean, he is so deeply committed to and invested in his people. And he is doing everything. I mean, he is shaking. He is releasing his glory. He is releasing a greater understanding, a, a, a spirit of revelation upon the body of Christ. He is going to bring his people into a place of maturity and security in him and anchored in the affections of Jesus. And I mean, he's a really good leader. He knows what is happening. He is not at all confused. He is not at all thrown off by the shakings that are occurring in the earth. And what we're experiencing in our generation requires a response. I mean, he's looking at us with such uh, tenderness and kindness, but he doesn't want us to just hear the message. He actually wants us to respond at the deepest heart level. He wants something from us. And that's kind of one of the main points of what I hope that we'd come away with uh, even this morning. Well, a few weeks ago, I listed a trailer hitch on Facebook. It's one of those big uh, trailers that you could put, you know, tubs on and put a tarp over and drive your family across the country or whatever. And so I listed a trailer hitch. And uh, I didn't hear anything from anyone on Facebook Marketplace. No one was interested in it, or maybe I was asking triple what it was worth. That's probably more likely. Until this morning, I woke up. And I woke up at, you know, early, and, uh, and this guy, has, he said, hey, Isaac, is this still available? And I looked at the time at which he sent it, and he, he sent it at like 2.30 in the morning. And uh, his name was Jesus. For real. This is real. And uh, I'm looking at this this morning at like 5 o'clock, and I'm like, Jesus is on Facebook Marketplace. He's interested in this trailer hitch. Now, there's not really a point to this story. I just wanted you guys to know, like, if you want a shot at this trailer hitch, like, Jesus is probably coming after church to buy this from me. It's only 100 bucks, so I'm just, that's kind of the whole point of the story. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm looking at this. I'm like, Lord, is there, is there like a, is there a, is this some sort of prophetic sign, Jesus, trailer hitch, whatever? And as I'm getting ready this morning to go to the prayer room, uh, the Lord just began speaking to me and just, just showing me just the most tender, just the most tender memories started coming back to my mind. And, you know, when we were kids, our parents, we'd, you know, go on a yearly vacation somewhere, whatever. And I remember... Uh, we'd leave really early in the morning, and so parents, you know what it's like. You know, you get your kids, you kind of wake them up, their hair's like, and their face is all like, I love my kids in that kind of zombie-like state. I mean, it's so enjoyable, you know? We got five kids. Most of the time, they're just going absolutely buck wild. And uh, it's just kind of sweet when they're like asleep, and you could just kind of stare at them, really enjoy them. 
Or, you know, when they're like in that kind of first like cute state of waking up, their cheeks are all rosy and all this stuff. Well, I remember, you know, my parents, they'd wake us up and they'd go stick us in a minivan. And, uh, you know, in our minivan, we'd always take out the middle seat and like, it, it was like so cool. And we would like put your sleeping bags down and we had, we would just be able to like sleep and eat tons of uh, Cheetos on the way. We would drive to uh, Colorado or something for a family vacation. That was before they had like traffic laws and everybody was afraid of, you know, getting pulled over. Anyway, and there was just like this sweetness about it. And as a kid, you don't have any idea really what's going on because you're so tired and kind of foggy. But, you know, your parents... And like the Lord is looking at us, it's like you don't really get what's going on. You're kind of sleepy and half awake, but we're going somewhere together and, and you're coming with me. And that, that, as those memories just started like flooding back to me this morning and I, you know, I get this message from Jesus asking about my trailer hitch. There's still a shot. You can have a shot at this trailer hitch. It's nice. Anyway. As these memories started coming back, I just began to realize the heart of God. The heart of God toward his people, toward his bride, toward his family. And I think right now we're kind of, the body of Christ is kind of in that phase where we're just like a little bit sleepy, a little bit groggy. Lord's kind of waking us up. He's like, hey, something's going on. We're going somewhere together. There's a journey in front of us and the Lord's waking up the body of Christ. He's going, there's somewhere we're going together. And you may not understand everything that's going on and maybe we're a little bit groggy, a little bit foggy, a little bit unclear, maybe confused, maybe cranky. The Lord's like, no, I got this. I'm going on a trip. You're coming with me. And I'm not gonna go without you. And the Lord, you know, the bridegroom is looking at the body of Christ and he's going, hey, we're going somewhere together. I'm going to transition the entire earth into the age to come. I mean, this is gonna be the most dramatic transition that history has ever seen before. I mean, it is gonna surpass the drama of the book of Exodus. It is gonna surpass the miracles and the power of the book of Acts. It is gonna combine these incredible dramatic events of power and glory and trouble and shaking. And Jesus is waking us up from our slumber, throwing us in the minivan, and he's starting to drive west and he's going, you're coming with me, whether you like it or not, whether you understand or not. And the, and, the, and the joy is the destination of where we're gonna go, where we're gonna end up. And the Lord is just so committed to this. And this morning as I'm preparing this message and just thinking about the Lord, I am, just, I am so, I feel so tender in my heart about the leadership of the Lord over our individual lives. In the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of all the pressures that we're feeling under right now, like 
you know, Lord, I'm not really ready for you to return or anything like that. Like, I'm just trying to, like, make it through today. <laughs> In the midst of all that, the Lord is so kind. He is so gentle. He is so tender. And he is waking us up. He is beginning to shake and challenge and put his finger on the areas of our life that are in disagreement with his heart and with his purposes. He will not let us continue as we are. The hand of the Lord is on your life. It is on the body of Christ. And that hand is not gonna just lift off and the Lord just let us go and just live our own life and live our own thing. He's going, no, 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 I have an agenda. We're loading up the minivan. We're going somewhere together. You're coming with me because I love you and because I enjoy you and I want you near me and I want you on the journey. And as you kind of come out of your fogginess and out of your spiritual dullness, as the Lord is waking up his church, you're gonna begin to understand more and more and more about what is transpiring and what is coming in the days ahead. The Lord is bringing his church with him. Now in that transitional generation, that is, and that is going to be so dramatic. I mean, sometimes I just pause. I think back to the story of the Exodus and how incredibly dramatic that must have been to actually live that. I mean, imagine you're a Hebrew slave. Your parents were slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their parents were slaves. I mean, 400 years, that's all you know is the bondage of slavery living in Egypt, the hot, dusty, pagan country under the evil leadership of Pharaoh. I mean, this is all you know. And then all of a sudden, this guy shows up who was a former prince. You'd heard some rumors about him that he murdered a guy and ran away. He shows up, and he's like, hey, the I am has sent me to get you guys out of here. And you're like, yeah, right. You're a convict. Like, you're on the run. And imagine, imagine experiencing the supernatural plagues of God beginning to rain down on your oppressors. And you're shielded in this little spot of land called Goshen. You're shielded from the judgments of the Lord. And the Lord begins to break the will of your oppressors as you're seeing it. And you're just, you're just there. You're just witnessing it. You're not do, you don't have to do anything. I mean, how dramatic it is that the whole land is filled with frogs. I mean, that is bizarre. Like, what a weird plague. And gnats, and then boils, and then darkness. I mean, that's the real one that I cannot understand. How is it light in Goshen and dark right outside? 
I mean, this is so dramatic. These are miracles that the earth has never seen before. Beloved, we're gonna see that transitional generation is gonna see miracles that surpass what happened in the book of Exodus. They're gonna be multiplied on a global scale and we as the body of Christ are in the back of the minivan with kind of messed up hair going, what is happening out there? This is remarkable. We read through these stories and we don't get the drama of what's happening. And then the convict, Moses, <laughs> shows up and he goes, hey guys, we gotta put blood on our doorposts. You're like, what? Yeah, go get a lamb, kill it, take the blood, wipe it all over your doorpost. The angel of death is coming. I mean, I think half the people, half the Hebrews probably just did it because it was so crazy they just had to be sure. The angel of death is gonna show up and kill my firstborn. Now, by that point, they had already witnessed nine plagues, and so they were probably more in a spirit of faith. But just how weird it is. Take blood, wipe it all over the doorpost of your house. Like, what? They were normal people just like we were. That's a bizarre request, right? And so they do this. The angel of death does come. He does kill the firstborn of everyone in the land that doesn't have the, the blood on the doorposts. And then Moses is like, hey guys, we're getting out of here. Go ask your neighbors that are Egyptians for all of their silver and gold and money. And they're like, what? Yeah, go ask them for all their stuff. Trust me, their will is broken right now. They're gonna be super generous. Just go knock on their door, say you're there, you're a Hebrew, you're about to leave. Uh, the I am has been the one messing with them and then ask them for all their silver and gold. And the Egyptians are like, here, take it all. I mean, that's weird. It's just weird. They just give them like all their stuff. I mean, this really happened to a whole generation of people. And then they go to the Red Sea and the Egyptians have buyer's remorse and they're like, let's go get them back and they're coming after them. And then the Lord, through the breath of his nostrils, parts an ocean. That, I mean, that's really bizarre. That really happened. Yahweh really divided a sea and then called his people into the wilderness and led them through the sea. And you're walking through the Red Sea with your family and your kids and you're looking up at the towering water wall next to you and it's the most bizarre sea world scene you can possibly imagine. And you're walking through and you're just like, what is happening? You get through, the Egyptians come after you, they all drown, you're like, this is awesome, Miriam busts out her tambourine, it's everybody's rejoicing, and you're like, this is awesome, except we're in the middle of the desert. 
And then Moses starts leading you around, and you're like, what? And you go to this big rock called Sinai, this giant, dusty hill, cragged rocks. And then all of a sudden, one day, you come out of your little tent, and Yahweh is on top of the mountain in fire, in a tempest storm. And the sound of thunder and trumpets is coming off of the top of the mountain. And Moses is like, this is the guy that got us out of slavery. Do you know that? And they're like, what? What is happening? I don't, I'm, I'm afraid of that. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. And Moses is like, well, if nobody's coming with me, I'm going up there. So he disappears. He's gone for days. He's just gone. He's up there. They're like, where did Moses go? And he's just gone for like almost three months. And everybody's down there and they're like, what do we do? Let's make a golden calf and worship it because we got all this extra gold laying around. We can't eat it. So let's just worship it. And then Moses comes back down and his face is shining with the glory of God and they're looking at him like, whoa. And then he grinds up their golden calf and makes them all drink it. I mean, that would have been a weird experience. Talk about humbling. Imagine that you had to eat all of your sins. Imagine that all of your sins were ground up and put in the water, in the smoothie, and then you had to drink it. Talk about humbling. Talk about weird. We're like, we, we have a hard time just confessing our sins and repenting them, kind of whispering it under our breath. Moses is like, I'm gonna take your sins, grind it up. You're gonna drink it, actually, in front of everyone. This is just weird stuff. The transition to the age to come is going to surpass that whole encounter and that whole season. Because Yahweh isn't going to leave the mountain. He's not going to go back to heaven. He's coming down. He's bringing heaven to the earth. And he's going to break into time and space. And he's going to break into our lives. And all the normal people that are across the earth doing their work, living their lives, raising their families, you know, worshiping the Antichrist and demons, you know, as a side hobby just so they can buy food. I mean, all this stuff. And Yahweh is coming to the earth and he's going, I'm gonna dwell there forever. And the amount of transition, I mean, the amount of change that is gonna transpire in that generation is gonna be so intense. It's gonna be so dramatic. And we're just like kids in the back seat of the minivan, like, where are we going? What's going on? I mean, it is wild what the Lord is going to do. Now, the Lord is gonna raise up voices. And you may be one of those voices. He's gonna raise up voices to get people ready for what the Lord is going to do in such a dramatic, powerful way across the nation of the earth. He's gonna raise them up through writers. He's gonna raise them up in the marketplace. He's gonna raise them up in the arena of music and singing and songwriting and prophetic song. He's gonna raise up preachers and teachers and bloggers and YouTube channels and all these things to get 
people ready for that transition that is coming where the whole earth will come under the leadership and the, the authority of the bridegroom king, Jesus. John the Baptist described himself in this way, Matthew chapter three, in verse 29. He said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. That's Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom, the friend, he said, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I stand, I hear him, and I rejoice greatly because of his voice. Therefore, my joy is fulfilled. Let me ask you, in the hour of transition as shakings are coming, do you find yourself going to the place of standing before the Lord, of hearing the word of the Lord, of filling your mind with the word and hearing what the Spirit is saying because something is transpiring and beginning in the earth in an increased way and the Lord's calling his friends. He's going, come stand before me. Come and hear what I'm saying. What are you listening to? What are you filling your ears with right now? Do you hear the voice of the bridegroom or do you just hear the voice of the social commentators? Do you hear the voice of God's prophetic purpose of what he's bringing the body of Christ into in this hour? Or is our ears and our mind just filled with hours and hours of media and politicking and social debate and arguments? The Lord's longing for friends. He's gonna raise up friends of the bridegroom. You know, Jesus has a lot of enemies. And he's got some servants, but he has few friends. He's got some servants. He has a lot of people that are willing to just grind it out, work hard for God. They're just going, I just gotta know the will of God for my life. You know, it's the, it's the God's the magic eight ball. I'm just kind of shaking it and looking like, do I go here or not? Yes or no? Whatever you tell me to do, I'll kind of do. We relate to God as this master in heaven that's just like, just tell me exactly what to do. Lay it all out for me. He goes, that's not how it works. I want relationship. I want friendship. You actually have to know me to know what I want. You actually have to talk to me. I'm not just gonna send you your marching orders in a manila envelope. It's gonna show up on your doorstep and it just says, move to this city, marry this girl, have this amount of kids, work at this job. He goes, the marching orders are easy. Friendship is hard. Friendship is what I want. And the Lord wants to announce his coming. He wants to announce his purposes. He wants to announce what is on his heart through his friends, like we all would. We're all headed, remember, in the book of Revelation, we're all headed to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We don't want just servants and employees planning our weddings. We want our friends involved. We want those that are closest to us 
involved in telling everyone what it's gonna be like and getting people ready for the celebration of the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the Lord is in this hour, he's raising up friends of the bridegroom, friends from his heart, friends that know him, that understand him, that talk like he talks. Because he doesn't wanna be announced just by servants, just by employees, just by those that relate to him as a master. He goes, no, I want friends in this hour to talk about the transition of the entire earth because there's a minute of kind of darkness stuff, but there's a whole lot of good stuff that's there, and I want my friends to tell the earth about that very thing. Matthew chapter nine. There's a necessary change that's going to occur in the body of Christ. And I believe, though it's my own opinion, I believe that we're in that transitional period where the Lord is beginning to set things into place and raise up friends of the bridegroom. Look at Matthew 9. In verse 15, Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He's speaking of himself. He's saying, my disciples, they're not mourning, they're not living in fasting and prayer and weeping as a lifestyle like John the Baptist's disciples are. They're not living in that lifestyle right now. Why? Because the bridegroom is with them. You shouldn't fast during weddings. Like if you ever go, this is a practical like Pastor Isaac point here. Even if you're on some like long, intense fast or whatever, you get invited to go to the wedding, go, go to the wedding and go eat. I mean, go enjoy it. The wedding is pointing towards the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's the whole point. That's what we're fasting for. Jesus, the picture of the bride and the bridegroom, just pastoral point, just don't fast at weddings, okay? Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. Those are the days that we're in because the bridegroom ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father. He says this, and then they will fast. And then they will fast. See, the posture changes. The mourning, we're, we're to embrace the mourning and the loss that the bridegroom is not with us. Like, we're supposed to, as the body of Christ, actually want Jesus. Like, we're supposed to long for him. We're supposed to. That's, that's right. That makes sense. I mean, imagine the bride who's anticipating her wedding day, and she's thinking about the bridegroom, and she's just like, oh, I just can't wait to see that paycheck twice a month. I just can't wait to, to, to live in his house. We've got this house picked out. It's this beautiful five-bedroom home. It's just in this, you know, nice community, and they have a private pool and a tennis court. I just can't wait for that. Like, imagine that she only thought about and talked about those things, but never actually wanted him. And, and, 
often we can relate to Jesus as like we want his power so we don't feel dumb when we pray for sick people and they don't get healed, right? There's nothing worse than in the grocery store be like, hey, you know, I noticed uh, you're in a full body cast. Can I pray for you? And they're like, sure, and you pray, and then nothing happens. So it's like we go to God, and we're like, bridegroom, give us the power. We don't want to look dumb anymore. We want his power. We want his peace. We want all of our emotions to not be raging out of control. So we're like, comfort us, and give me power, and give me money, and give me opportunities, and let my reputation to everyone be that I'm so humble and godly and amazing that people will come to my house and sit in my living room and just say, just teach me about God, oh wise sage. And this is how so many people relate to Jesus, the bridegroom. Like, I just can't wait for that. And the Lord's going, no, 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 that's, that's not, I, I appreciate that stuff. I do want to give you power. I do want to give you provision. I do want to give you da 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 Because I want you to long for me. Because I long for you. The Lord could have anything that he wants, but he just wants weak, broken people just like us. No, you're sitting there today. What do you want? What is it that you're longing for? You're longing to get home and take a nap and sell Jesus your trailer hitch? Still a chance for you guys on that. I mean, what is it that we want? Like, what is it we daydream? Like, what's the most optimum Sunday we can have? Now imagine like having the power to get whatever you want, to have whatever you want. And when Jesus looks at us, he goes, I want more than anything to be near them. I want my, I want my bride, and it's right for the bridegroom to want this of the bride. I want my bride more than anything to want me, to miss me, to just like, it's okay to just like cry because you want Jesus and you miss him and you're dissatisfied with the way things are. Like you have gratitude in your heart. It's like, thank you God for the new covenant and the indwelling spirit and thank you for our spiritual family and, and our kids and, and our jobs and, and thank you Lord, all this. But like we're supposed to feel incomplete because the bridegroom is not here. We're supposed to feel that way. Verse 17, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. So he's continuing the conversation. He goes, the bridegroom's gonna be taken away. Then you're gonna mourn. You're gonna long for me. And how is that expressed? It's expressed through fasting. But more on that in a second. Verse 17 he says the new wine, you can't put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and it's wasted. That's the idea. But they put new wine into new wineskins. What does that mean? It means that the shakings that are occurring in the body of Christ are preparing a new wineskin for what God wants to give, what he wants to pour out. 
The ways of yesterday aren't sufficient for the ways today. Like even in the Lord's Prayer, give us today my daily bread. Because the, the manna, the bread, the provision, the sustenance of yesterday is eaten with worms. Remember how it didn't last overnight? The lifestyle, the mindsets, the understanding, the spiritual hunger of the last 10 years, they are not sufficient enough for the next 10. So the Lord is preparing a new wineskin because he wants to release a new wine, a new joy, a new power, a new sustenance, a new experience, a new privilege in the things of God, in that transitional generation. He says, I want to meet you in ways that I have never met you before. But what's required is, is that you're a people prepared. You're prepared to receive the move of the Spirit. You're prepared to receive the greater impartation of the anointing of the Lord. You're prepared to receive a new understanding and expression of Christianity. You're prepared to receive it. And in his wisdom, the master of the banqueting house will not give the wine in undue season. He will not release it until the wineskin has been adequately prepared. Now, this whole verse is, this is like, you know, charismatic candy. Like, we love this stuff, right? I mean, if I just started shouting about how the Lord's preparing a new wineskin and he's going to release the wine, I mean, we'd all be clapping and happy, wouldn't we? Yeah, but let's look at the context of how the Lord prepares the wineskin of your life and my life, okay? Now, we charismatics, we forget the first part that we just read. We separate them. They're two different messages. The bridegroom fasting message is a different message than the new wineskin is here. Everybody drink deep and let's get up and worship. The context of the Lord preparing the new wineskin is the same exact verses that we just read, which is the people of God, the bride of Jesus, starting to long for the bridegroom. Mourning, those are actually sad feelings. Sadness is not bad. Sadness is not badness. Actually feeling in our hearts a mourning which means that if we're mourning for Jesus, that means that we're, we have a distaste for other things. We just go, you know what? Like the career opportunity, it's not moving my heart in the same way. Like my relationships, my friendships, my marriage, my whatever, it's, I'm grateful for it, but it's not moving my heart it's not satisfying this craving, this longing, this yearning that I have for Jesus. So the body of Christ to become a new wineskin is beginning to mourn. We begin to see the gap of our lives. We just go, you know what? Even if God released revival in our city, even if 
the, the power was just flowing in the services and, and rippling through our neighborhoods and our school system and, our, and everything. Would that be enough without the bridegroom here? Imagine God came and answered every prayer of the church in America. Would any of them, would any of those prayers, would any of that morning, would any of those prayer meetings result in the bridegroom actually coming? Or is it enough for his power? Or is it enough for the meetings to be exciting? For there to be a electricity in the air? For a blind eye to be opened? for a supernatural provision to buy our dream farm and relocate our family 20 minutes outside of town, would that satisfy us? What about the bridegroom? What about, what about him? What about the one we're in covenant with? What about the one that is just filled with delight and emotion over us? Do we want him? He says, for this wineskin to be, pre- to be prepared, I mean, he just says it so clearly right here at the end of verse 15. He says, then they will fast. The fasted lifestyle, intentional fasting in the rhythm of our lives. I'm talking about fasting food. That's the biblical fast. Fasting food. There's other types of fasts that are beneficial for our spiritual lives. I'm talking about food. He says, your wineskin will be prepared when you begin to engage in fasting food. There's some spiritual transaction. I don't know how it all works. I wish God had picked something else like watching PBS But he didn't. He said, no, no, I'm picking fasting. Because it, it touches on your physical hunger and I want your physical hunger to be an indicator of your spiritual hunger, your hunger for me, your longing for me. And he's, he's saying, what I wanna release, the wine of my spirit, the power of my presence that is so unique to that end time generation, it will only be held among a people who are mourning for the bridegroom and that primary expression is fasting. I've never met a good faster. I've met people who fast a lot. Maybe even, you know, do a 40-day fast once a year and I've never met a person, though, that even engaged in that level of fasting, you know, fasting once a week and, and doing an extended fast, you know, whatever, every few months or something, whatever. I've never met a person that just said, I am good at fasting. I 
And so like the very thing that prepares the body of Christ for that transitional generation and the increase of the wine of the presence and power of God, it's the very thing that no one is good at. Why? Because God doesn't want us glorying in our flesh. He doesn't want us glorying in ourselves. He doesn't want us giving ourselves a big pat on the back and being like, wow, look at us, we did it. You can have a reputation of fasting, but it's not about a reputation. You can be a part of a fasting community, but it's not a part, the, the, it's, it's not about affiliation with a certain group. What about you? What about your life? What about your longing? What about the wineskin of your own soul? Are we willing to embrace the hardest, weakest call of Christian discipleship so that we would be prepared, so that we would be a wineskin that when the Lord pours out the wine, we wouldn't break and buckle. We wouldn't get puffed up in pride. We wouldn't collapse under the fear and under the pressure of what comes in that hour. I'm gonna skip to the very end. What is the necessary response? What does the Lord want from this time of shaking? And I believe that the shakings are going to increase. I believe that the glory and the power of God is gonna increase as well, but I think they in increase together, not one without the other. They increase together. God's greatest miracles and his greatest glory came in the church's darkest hours. His greatest power and demonstration of power in the book of Exodus came when his people were enslaved. So I believe that the darkness creates the context in which the people of God don't just want the power of God, but they need the power of God. What is the necessary response? Joel 2, verse 12 and 13, even now declares the Lord. Even now, 2021, September 19th, 2021, even now declares the Lord, return to me. People of God, return to me. Go on the journey. Do I need to return to you? What does it mean to return to you? How do I know if I'm not returned to God? We just came out of the return conference. How do I know? Well, it's right here. Have you turned with all of your heart to God? Are you reaching are you walking in that first commandment love, that first commandment passion? Jesus, the bridegroom, I wanna love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. My vision is focused on you. My life is focused on you. I've become like a sharpened arrow. I only want one thing. I want the bridegroom. That's how you know when your heart is turning. And if our heart isn't there, then it's time to return, to return to the Lord. 
What marks our return? What does it look like? Well, it's the same thing in Matthew chapter 9. It's fasting with weeping and with mourning. We're not okay with business as usual. I'm not satisfied just getting a little bit more community in my life and getting a little bit more activity of a Holy Spirit and having a one prophetic dream. Like, that's not gonna satisfy my heart. I've gotta be fully devoted to the bridegroom. I've gotta long for him. I've gotta be fixated, focused, passionate, zealous for him. Jesus Christ, him crucified. In Revelation 3, verse 19, we're bringing this to an end. The Lord tells the church that's lukewarm, that's sleepy, getting in the minivan, waking up. He says, I want you to be zealous and repent. What does that mean? It means that we actually have to put effort into changing our lives, into turning our hearts and our activities and our desires into the things that agree with the will of God. Somehow the body of Christ in the last 18 months has figured out what's wrong with everyone and how to fix it. We know what's wrong. We know what's wrong with this group and, and that group. And we know that we're the ones awake and they're the group that's deceived. So we just type in all caps, wake up. What does that even mean? I, I don't even know what people mean anymore. Wake up? You mean like read the paragraph that, you're just, that you just wrote? Like what does it mean to wake up if it's not fasting, weeping, mourning, and turning to the bridegroom? It is not waking up. It's not waking up. There's only one way to wake up. There's only one way to be prepared. There's only one way to mourn for the bridegroom. He made it so simple, everybody can do it. And he made it the one thing that none of us are gonna have any confidence in. We're all bad at it. He goes, that's on purpose. I made it that way on purpose. We have to make necessary changes in our lives and in our hearts. Beloved, we can't waste a good crisis like the last 18 months and the whatever we're in now. I don't even know, maybe I've adapted to crisis, whatever. I, are we still in crisis? I don't, I, maybe, probably. But the last 18 months, we, we can't waste a good crisis. We can't waste a good shaking. We gotta get into our own souls. We gotta turn our hearts to God. We gotta repent of our sins. Not the sins of some big, group out there that's so ethereal, like I repent for all of America's sins. I mean, I appreciate that, but what if the Holy Spirit was like, well, what about your sins? What about my people who are called by my name, humbling themselves, turning from their wicked ways? What wicked ways is your heart bound in that's come to the surface? What kind of secret sins are in there? What kind of addictions? What kind of mindsets? What kind of bitterness is our heart lodged in? What kind of unforgiveness are we giving way to? What kind of offense has come up in our own hearts? What kind of gossip and slander is coming out of our own mouths? 
Let's get in there. Let's, let's turn to the bridegroom. I can't control what that guy way out there is doing. I can't, he's, he doesn't give a rip what I say about him on social media. If he changes, that doesn't mean I change. And we gotta be a people prepared. We gotta get a new wineskin. We gotta get a new mentality. We gotta change the way we spend our lives and our time and our money. We've gotta love the bridegroom. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come out. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what only you can do. That you would bring a spirit of conviction to us. You would bring the fear of the Lord to our lives again. You would get us uncomfortable with the status quo. That we wouldn't just be a little bit more people a little bit more influence, a little bit more success, a little bit more community, a little bit more sermons, a little bit more prayer, that we would be a people absolutely wrecked. I mean, just destroyed because of the love of the bridegroom. Destroyed is a good thing in that context. I mean, your heart longs to be passionate. Look at the next generation. Their heart is dying for something passionate. And they show up on a Sunday morning. What are they hearing? They come knock on your door. What are they going to hear? It's like the Greeks that come to Philip and they're just like, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Someone show me Jesus. Someone show me a lifestyle and a way and a turning and a devotion that looks like something I can live for and die for. Someone. I think that's one of the reasons why we're losing our young people. It's because it doesn't match up. We say we love Jesus, but we curse our brother. We say we love Jesus, but we have political idols. We say our trust is in God, but our trust is in man. And the Lord is looking at us with such tenderness, with such kindness. He's going, come back to me. Get your heart before me. Holy Spirit, I would invite you to stand if you'd like to. Holy Spirit, we want to see what you see. We want to see what you see. I want you to take a moment and do a self-inventory of your own soul, your own life. I want you to go back the last 18 months. Some won't make it past the last 18 hours. What is the Holy Spirit bringing up in your life? Is your wineskin a little bit dried out? Is it a little bit fractured? Is there a tear in your own life? Is your own house in order? Is your own life in order? Before you have an opinion about someone else's life, what about your life? What about your soul? 
Holy Spirit, release a hunger for a new wineskin, the body of Christ. Those here in this room, those joining us by the web stream, Don't waste a good crisis. Come before him. Come before the bridegroom. Long for the bridegroom. Talk to the bridegroom. Worship the bridegroom God. He's coming for you. He won't relent. He won't slow down until he has all of you. He's coming after your heart. He's coming after your affections. He's coming after your eyes. He's coming after your ears. He's coming after your emotions. He's coming after you. Turn to him. Turn to him. Awaken to him. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. And have just a few moments of waiting before the Lord. The Lord's touching your heart this morning in a particular way related to this, related to this message, and you'd like to respond to the Lord, we have a ministry team that's ready to pray with you. I wanna invite you to come to the front. Come and stand on these lines if the Lord leads you. If your heart is stirred, you're going, I, my, the wineskin of my life is not prepared for what is coming. I need a fresh grace. I need a fresh awakening. I need a fresh turning. I need the help of the Holy Spirit to get my life in order and my heart in order and, and my life in alignment with the will of God. I need help. I'll do it, but I need help. That's where I feel. Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak, right? Release our ministry team. And go and pray those that are up here are going to have a time of worship.